Amen. All right, well, we're there in Hebrews chapter number four. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through a verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews. And if you remember, we uh, last time we were in the book of Hebrews, we, we dealt with the uh, first 11 verses of uh, Hebrews chapter number uh, four. And once you get past uh, into verse 14, uh, next time, Lord willing, that we're in the book of Hebrews, uh, in verse 14 begins a new subject, uh, which is the subject of Jesus as the high priest. It actually continues in through uh, chapter 5. So we might deal next week with the last part of chapter 4, and the first part of chapter 5 uh, is what we'll probably cover next week. But we went up to verse 11, and then in verse 14 begins a new subject. But right in the middle of this chapter, you have these uh, two powerful verses. And in fact, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, especially if you are a church-goer. And it's a verse about the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says this, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And these are some powerful verses. These are some amazing verses dealing with uh, the Word of God, and I felt like it would be a disservice to not spend at least one night or one sermon just dealing with these verses regarding uh, the Word of God. So I'd like to I'd like to really kind of use these verses as a launching point, and I'd like for us to uh, do a Bible study. It's a Wednesday night Bible study. It'll definitely be a Bible study. We'll be flipping all throughout the Bible, but maybe a little more of a topical uh, style uh, regarding the Word of God. And there's really three different things I'd like to uh, highlight for you regarding the Word of God. Uh, and if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place, of course, for you to write down some notes. Uh, the first point that I'd like to make or the first thing that I'd like to show you is the examples of the Word of God. And in the Bible, what we have is all throughout the Bible, we have all these different examples of the Word of God. And I think it can be difficult to really explain uh, what the Word of God is. Obviously, we know the Word of God is the Bible. It's Scripture. And, we, and, and there's so much doctrine that, can, that we could go into regarding the Word of God. And I've preached on the doctrine of the Word of God. And I'm not going to cover all those things, inspiration, preservation. Um, the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God. I'm not even going to necessarily cover that uh, tonight. But it's interesting to me because what we have in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is one of the most well-known examples of the Bible, but it's not the only example. In fact, this example, these examples are used all throughout the Bible, and I'd like to just highlight for you. In fact, I, I, I thought of eight different passages of Scripture where the Bible is compared to something else, um, and I think that the reason for that is because as we see how the Bible is compared, then we can get a, an idea of what it is that the Bible is and, and, and how it is that it works. And here in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, we see the first example and of course, it is this, that the Bible is compared to a sword. The Bible is compared to a sword. Notice it again there in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is quick. The word quick is uh, a word that is used here in a more of an archaic uh, definition, not necessarily the way that we would use it. The word quick means alive. 
Like in the Bible, there's other passages that talk about the quick and the dead, and it is a references to it's a reference to the alive and the dead. Uh, and the Bible here tells us that the word of God is quick, and this is the first hint to the fact that the Bible is not a book like every other book. The Bible is a special book. The Bible tells us that the Bible itself is alive, for the Word of God is quick and powerful. And then we see the first example here, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we see that the Bible is compared to a sword, and the comparison is being made, what, what the Bible is trying to teach us, the reason this comparison is being made is because it is compared to a sword that pierces, a sword that pierces. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in Hebrews chapter 4, obviously, as our text for tonight. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6. That's closer towards the beginning of the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians 6. Now, Ephesians chapter 6 is the famous passage of the armor of God, and I'm not going to go through and preach on the armor of God uh, tonight. I've done that at other times, but I'd like you to notice one piece of the armor of God, and it highlights this same idea. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17, the Bible says this, and take the helmet of salvation, and then I want you to notice this phrase, and the sword of the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? Notice which is the Word of God. The Bible teaches that the Bible is like a sword that pierces. And I, what I really want you to learn tonight, and what I want you to gather as we look uh, through these passages, is that, and I don't know if you're this way, maybe it's, only, maybe it's just me, uh, just because I'm a pastor or my wife, because we're in ministry, but oftentimes I wish... Uh, and I would say one of the most frustrating things in ministry is dealing with people that don't change. <laughs> uh, dealing with people that, that just don't get it. Uh, you, you, you talk to them, you try to help them, and it just seems like uh, you, you can't, you know, I, I wish sometimes that I could just kind of like input into them spirituality, input into them. Uh, Christianity, input into them, uh, uh, these things. And, and the, 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 the larger that the church grows, tonight, I don't know what, I think tonight we've got, uh, they, they sent me a text, I, I don't remember, we've got over 200 people here tonight on a Wednesday night, uh, which praise the Lord for that. But the, the, the bigger that the church gets, the more apparent it becomes to me how incapable I am of changing anybody. And it can be a little discouraging at times, but what the Bible is telling us that what I cannot do, the Word of God can. Because the Bible says that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the benefit to having this sword is that it can divide asunder both soul and spirit. It can divide asunder it can divide even the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. So the Bible tells us that it is the sword. It is the word of God that pierces an individual and has the ability to, to, to enter in 
and pierce them even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It can enter somebody and do a work that you and I are unable to do. So the Bible is compared to a sword that pierces. You're there in Ephesians chapter 6. Flip back just one chapter to Ephesians chapter 5. And, and, and you know, when I think of this, I often think of my wife. My wife and I went, met when we were uh, teenagers. We were working at Subway. And when I met her, she, she wasn't saved. Uh, she had grown up Catholic, but she had uh, been to college and had decided to become an atheist as a result of, uh, of the exposure at college. And she wasn't an atheist very long. It's just something that she just kind of decided after uh, taking a, a few classes there. But I remember with my wife when she got saved, you know, it wasn't like I just gave her the gospel one time and then she got saved. Um, because of the fact that uh, she had decided to be an atheist and decided uh, to embrace evolution, even though she hadn't done it for a long time, but because she had made that decision, there was a lot of things that we needed to, to, to deal with and kind of work uh, through that. And uh, honestly, uh, my wife getting saved, it was a process of, of months of me preaching the gospel to her. And, and, and a lot of that time, honestly, was spent debating and was spent uh, giving her arguments against evolution and for creation. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think all those things were useful, and I think all those things uh, were needed. But I remember uh, just kind of after talking to her, and, and we were friends at this time, obviously. We weren't dating or anything, but uh, being friends and working together for weeks and weeks and weeks. And every time we worked together, we would talk about creation and evolution and the Bible, and we talk about these things. And I remember one day talking to my pastor about her and just kind of letting him know what was going on and asking for some advice. And what he said to me is, you, you need to just give her the word. He said, all these arguments are good and all these things are, are fine, but what you need to give her is the word of God. I remember just trying to focus on uh, giving her the Bible and emphasizing what the Bible emphasizes and talking about what the Bible talks and, and explaining what the Bible uh, explains. And it really wasn't till I began to emphasize eternity and hell and the Word of God, that's really when she got saved is when she heard the message of salvation and not just salvation, but hell and condemnation. And it was interesting to me because the Bible did something that I wasn't able to do, something that I wasn't able to do for weeks and for months. The Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. We might look at someone and say, like, we can't get in there, and we can't make the argument, and we can't uh, get them to see things the way that, that we want to, them to see it. But we should remember that the Word of God can, and the Bible can. The Bible is compared to a sword that pierces, and it pierces in a way that you and I cannot. It is the, the Bible says it is the discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. So we saw there in Ephesians 6.17 that it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But there's other comparisons in the Bible. I'd like to show them to you as quickly as I can tonight. Another comparison is found in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, the Bible says this. And of course, Ephesians 5 is a passage on marriage. I'm not preaching on the subject of marriage tonight, but look at the context. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And the analogy here is being made about husbands and wives and how they picture or they represent the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. So he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Again, I'm not preaching on that necessarily, but look at verse 26. The Bible says that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, that would be us, with, notice, the washing of the water 
by the Word. So we see here another example of the Bible. The first one we saw was that the Bible is compared to a sword that pierces, but here the Bible is compared to water that cleanses. It is compared to water that cleanses, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And here we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about sanctification. And here's what every Christian needs. Every Christian especially when they're new, but even if they're not new, they need to be under the preaching and under the teaching of the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is not only like a sword that pierces the heart, but it is like water that cleanses the individual. And when you come here to a church like this on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, or like you are here on a Wednesday night, and the Word of God is preached. The Bible says that spiritually, it's like you're being washed by the Word. And the Word of God is beginning to do a work, hopefully in your life, uh, that, that, that causes you to draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it causes you to be cleansed. Oftentimes when people first start coming to a church like ours, uh, they'll make statements like, every time I come, I feel so dirty. And, you know, I, sometimes I respond jokingly, or sometimes I don't, but uh, I'll say it's because you are dirty. <laughs> and we need to be cleansed. We need the Word of God to cleanse us. And look, all of us, no matter how long you've been saved and how long you've been coming to church, we need to be cleansed by the Word of God. So we see that the Bible is compared to a sword that pierces. We see that the Bible is compared to water that cleanses. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word. Now, go, if, if you kept your place in Hebrews, uh, from Hebrews, go over to 1 Peter chapter number 1. If you kept your place in Hebrews, and I'd like you to keep your place there, after Hebrews, you have the book of James, and then you have the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 1. Let me give you the third uh, example or illustration of the Word of God that we see in the Bible. The first, that it is compared to a sword that pierces. The second is, that, and, and I just chose these in, in, an, in, in an order that would be maybe easier for you to find in the Bible. They're not in any particular order for any reason. The Bible is compared to uh, water that cleanses. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, we see the, another example of the Word of God or what the Bible is compared to. And here we see 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again. Now that phrase, being born again, is not used a lot in the Bible. It's famously used by the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. And of course, it's referring to salvation, the new birth, the new spiritual life. Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto, ye, unto you, ye must be born again. Here, Peter says, being born again. And notice what he says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And this is a term that's used, I'll show it to you in a minute. It's used throughout the Bible regarding the Bible and it is this word seed. He says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the Bible is compared to seed. And I want you to notice here the emphasis is that the seed that brings life, because that's the comparison. It's like a sword that pierces. It's like water that cleanses. And it is like seed that gives life. It is like a seed that will sprout life or produce life. And here we're told that it's not a corruptible seed. And we know, of course, all the, time, all, all the way from the time of the Apostle Paul, Paul 
testified to the fact in the first century, he said, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. And we know that from the very beginning, all the way from the Garden of Eden, there has been a plan to corrupt the Word of God, to change the Word of God. Today, the modern Bible versions are a corruption of the Word of God. And that's what 1 Peter 1.23 is talking about. It's saying, look, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The idea is that there is an incorruptible seed. And in our English language, that is the King James Bible. The King James Bible is the inspired, inerrant. Uh, 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 infallible word of God. It is the incorruptible word of God. Notice, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. And then notice it again, which liveth and abideth forever. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is quick and powerful. It's living and powerful. Here we're told that the word of God liveth and abideth forever. It is, a, it is the incorruptible seed. Keep your place uh, there in Hebrews, if you would. We're going to come right back in this direction. Go back and, and go to Luke chapter 8. Towards the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 8, and look at verse number 11. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. and Luke 8, 11, we have, of course, the famous parable of the sower. And I'm not going to go through the whole parable, but I want you to notice that one of the aspects of the parable was this. Luke 8, 11, Jesus says, because this is one of the parables where Jesus actually tells us what these different things represent in the parable. And he said this, Luke 8, 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So we see that throughout the Bible, the word of God is compared to seed. And here it is seed that is sown in the ground. And the idea is this, that when we go out and we do soul winning, or even as we preach the word of God, we are sowing the seed of the word of God. We are, uh, uh, and of course, the parable of the sower tells us that it falls on different types of ground. It can fall on hard ground. Uh, it can fall by the wayside. It can uh, fall on good ground. But the seed is the word of God. And we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we see that the Bible is compared to a sword that pierces. It's compared to water that cleanses. It's compared to seed that gives Life. Keep your place right there in Luke, if you would, and go back to Hebrews, Hebrews uh, chapter number. You know what? Go, go back to First Peter. If you kept your place in Hebrews, after Hebrews you have James, and then you have the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter two. Let me give you this one real quick. This is what the Bible is compared to. It's the sword. It's water. It's seed. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, we see this, that the Bible is compared to food, food that nourishes. And it's compared to different types of food. And I guess I could have made this different sub points, but I just put them all together. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk, notice, of the word that ye may grow thereby. So I want you to notice the word of God pierces, the word of God cleanses. The Word of God gives life. The Word of God nourishes. He says that we, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Is it, you know, when a, when, a, when a baby is born, a newborn babe, it's hungry. It gets hungry, and it, it desires that milk. And the Bible says that the milk is the Word of God. And notice, that ye may grow thereby. How do we grow according to the Bible? As we consume the Word of God. Go, go back to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 13. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Everyone that useth milk is unskillful 
in the word of righteousness. Now, the reason that it's saying this is because we saw in 1 Peter 2.2 that milk is for newborn babes. So when you're a brand new Christian, what do you need? The sincere milk of the word. But you shouldn't be on the milk your whole life. Just like in real life, human beings, as babies, they drink milk, but eventually they advance to other things, solid foods. The Bible says, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Matthew chapter 4. Keep your place there in Hebrews. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If you kept your place in Luke, just right before Luke, you have Mark and then Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Here's another example of the Bible being uh, used as an example of food. Matthew 4 and verse 4. The Bible says this, but he answered and said, It is written, Matthew chapter 4 verse 4. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So I want you to notice that the Bible is compared to a sword that pierces. It's compared to water that cleanses. It's compared to seed that gives life. It's compared to uh, food that nourishes, that, uh, that, that we may grow thereby, the Bible says. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Keep your place there in Matthew, if you would. If you kept your place in Hebrews, go back to that part of the Bible and go to the book of James. From Hebrews, you have the book of James, James chapter number one. James chapter number one, and look at verse number 22. I think it's interesting that there's all these comparisons of the Bible in the Bible. And we're, we're told this is what the Bible does. The Bible is a sword that pierces. The Bible is water that cleanses. The Bible is seed that gives life. The Bible is food that uh, nourishes. Notice here in uh, James chapter 1 in verse 22, we see another example of the Word of God. James chapter 1 and verse 22, we see that the Bible is a, compared to a mirror that reveals. James 1, 22. But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, Deceiving your own selves, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man. Notice here's the illustration. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That's the first century way of saying a guy looking in a mirror. He's beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth this way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Now, of course, the, James, who's writing the book of James, is telling us that someone who is a forgetful hearer, someone who hears the word of God but doesn't do it, they're like a person that looks in a mirror, and they behold themselves, but then they straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. Verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continueth therein, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So I want you to notice that here we see that the Bible is compared to a mirror. And again, what is the purpose of a mirror? The purpose of a mirror is to look at it so that you can identify problems, right? That's, the, that's why I know some of you narcissists out there just look at every possible mirror ever, even turn your phone into a mirror 
every five minutes just to look at yourselves. But the whole point of a mirror is that you look in the mirror to see your reflection so that you can identify to have something in my teeth, is my tie straight, whatever. You can fix problems. That's the purpose of a mirror. And the Bible says that the Word of God is like a mirror, that we open it up and we read it and we're supposed to see ourselves in it, but not just see ourselves in it. We're supposed to see our problems in it and identify our problems so that we can fix them. And we are not to be forgetful hearers, but we should do something. We should do something with what we see. Just like if you look in the mirror and you see that your tie is not straight. I'm not sure if my tie is straight. I didn't look in the mirror. But you're, if you look in the mirror and you see that there's something wrong, right? I mean, something you can fix. I mean, I look in the mirror every day and I think to myself, there is something wrong here. But there's nothing I can do about it. You know, but, but, if, but, if, but if you identify something that's wrong that you can fix and you don't fix it, then what's the point of looking in a mirror? And the writer of the book of James is telling us that the Bible is like a mirror that reveals. So we see that the Bible is like a sword that pierces. The Bible is like water that cleanses. The Bible is like a seed that gives life. The Bible is like food that nourishes. The Bible is like a mirror that reveals. But let, let me give you another example. Go, go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23 in the Old Testament. You find those big books of the uh, Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Jeremiah chapter 23. We'll see another comparison of the Bible. The Bible, Jeremiah 23, 29, is compared to fire that purges. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like as a fire? This is what the Bible says, that the God's word is like a fire. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord. And all throughout the Bible, fire is used as an example of something that purges, that purifies. Job said that he would be tried. He said, and when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. Gold or silver or precious metals would be put through fire in order to purge out that which was bad, to purge out that which was of no value. And we see that the Bible is compared to fire that purges. And look, as the Word of God is preached to you, as the Word of God is, is explained to you and applied to your life, it should be like a fire that purges your life. So we see that Bible is compared to a fire that purges. But then here in verse 29, we see the next example. And it is this, number seven, that the Bible is compared to a hammer that breaks. Look at Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord. Notice, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. So the Bible tells us that the word of God is like fire that, that purges, and it is like a hammer that breaks. Go to Hosea chapter 10, if you would. You're there in Jeremiah. You just go past Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, into Hosea, Hosea chapter 10. Why, is the Bible, why does the Bible need to be like a hammer that breaks? It needs to be like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces because of our hard hearts. I mean, the reason that you're bored tonight as we're looking at passages of the Bible is probably because your heart is hard. Because if you love the Bible, you'd love learning about the Bible. If you love the Word of God, you, you'd like learning about the Word of God. But what often happens in our lives, and we saw that, it, you see it in the parable of the sower, is that when the ground is hard, it needs to be broken up. Notice Hosea 10 in verse 12. 
Hosea 10 and verse 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. But see, oftentimes individuals cannot sow in righteousness, cannot reap in mercy. Why? Notice what the Bible says, break up your fallow ground. The word fallow or the term fallow ground there is referring to ground that has not been plowed. Ground that has not been broken up. Ground that has dried and it's hard and, and it's hard to, to penetrate. You can't plant a seed in it because it's hard. And the Bible says that the Word of God is like a seed that goes into the ground. But the Bible also says that the Word of God is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces that uh, allows us to break up that fallow ground. And look, I'm here to tell you that oftentimes many Christians, what they need is the fallow ground of their heart to be broken. The Word of God to be used as a hammer to break the hardness of our hearts. So we see that the Bible is compared to a hammer that breaks. Let me give you another one. Go to Psalm 119, if you would. Keep your place in Psalm 119. When you get there, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely found in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119. Look at verse number 105. Psalm 119 is a famous passage in the Bible about the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's about the Word of God. Virtually every verse in Psalm 119, there's a reference to the Word of God. Here the Bible says in Psalm 119 in verse 105, it says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So the Bible is compared here to a lamp that enlightens a lamp that guides, a lamp that shines and allows us to see the way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The idea, the reference to a feet there is that you're traveling down. When I read this, I think of someone traveling down a, a dark road and they've got a lamp and the lamp is allowing them to continue forward. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It guides me. It directs me. It allows me to see and understand what I need to know and understand. So look, I want you to notice that all throughout the Bible, and I don't know if I missed any, I don't, I don't think I did, but uh, there, there's all these comparisons in the Bible about the Bible. It's compared to a sword that pierces. It's compared to water that cleanses. It's compared to seed that gives life. It's compared to food that nourishes mirrors that reveals, fire that purges, hammer that breaks, and lamp, a lamp that enlightens. I'd like you to go back. I'm not sure if you kept your place in Luke or not, but go back to the book of John, John chapter 5. We've been talking about the examples of the Word of God. But all of these are just different examples for really the same two things because really what the Bible does is two things. We saw the examples of the Word of God. I'd like to highlight for you the effects of the Word of God. The examples is what it is. The effect is what it does. What is it that the Bible actually does? Well, there's really only two things. One is that the Word of God brings salvation. John 5 and verse 24, notice what the Bible says. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. All throughout the Bible, we find this concept. I won't take the time to belabor it because I've got other things I'd like to show you. But the Bible says this, that salvation comes by us hearing the word of God 
and believing on the Word of God. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, real quickly. John, and then the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Acts 4, 4 says this. Howbeit many of them which heard the Word believed, and the number of them of the men was about 5,000. Acts 4, 4. I want you to see it. Howbeit many of them which... I just want you to see this little phrase because this is how it works. How many of them which heard the word believed. Heard the word believed. That's how it works. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Go to Romans chapter 10. You're there in Acts. Just flip over to Romans chapter 10 and look at verse number 17. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Romans 10 is a great passage on salvation. Romans 10 says this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice the Bible teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we see that one of the things that the Word of God does is that it brings salvation. The only reason that you and I are saved today is because the Word of God revealed salvation to us. Because it is the incorruptible seed, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we see that the Word of God brings salvation. But not only that, go back to John 17. John 17, and look at verse 17. If you go backwards from Romans through the book of Acts into, into John, I want you to notice John 17. Because remember, there's two things the Bible does. And all these eight examples that I gave you of the Word of God, they really just focus in on, they're doing two different things. One thing is that the Word of God brings salvation. The other thing is that the Word of God brings sanctification. Amen. Notice John 17 and verse 17. Notice what Jesus said. Sanctify them through thy truth. So how are we going to sanctify them? Through thy truth. And then it says this. Jesus says this. Thy word is truth. So we see that the word of God brings salvation. We see that the word of God brings sanctification. If you kept your place in Psalms, I'm, I, I, I thought I asked you to keep your place, I don't remember. But in Psalm 119, if you kept your place in Psalm 119, you can go back there real quickly. Look at verse 9. Psalm 119 and verse 9 Notice about what the Bible says, Psalm 119, 9, wherewithal, that phrase wherewithal means by means of which or out of where, by what resource. Wherewithal shall a young man, notice these words, cleanse his way. How will a young man cleanse his way? Here's how, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. So we see that the Word of God brings salvation, and we see that the Word of God brings sanctification. This is the effect of the Word of God. What's interesting to me is that we live in a day and age today that wants to de-emphasize the Word of God. Now, we're not surprised by that because the world does that. Today, we have the world telling us that the Bible is not the Word of God, that evolution is true, that God doesn't exist, all those things. But even in Christianity, look, Today, if you go to the average church in America today, first of all, if you go right now, they're not going to have church because most churches don't even have a Wednesday night Bible study anymore. But if you go to the average church in the United States of America today, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a 15 or 20 minute sermon. You're going to find one verse, if you're lucky, you know, and, 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 and a whole lot of stories and joking and laughing. And even independent federal Baptists, I mean, oftentimes when I listen to Independent Formal Baptist, it's like you're listening to a comedy show. And it's just like, you know, one verse at the beginning of the sermon, and then it's just 
stories and joking and laughing. And look, I'm all for jokes. I'm all for stories. I'm not against any of those things. But you better understand that the power is in the Word of God. The reason that we give you the Word of God in heavy doses here at Verity Baptist Church is because the power is in the Word. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And today, we want to de-emphasize the Bible. We think that our ability to communicate and our ability to tell jokes and tell stories and do this and do that. And look, I'm all for all those things. Obviously, as a preacher, I'm a communicator, and I understand that some people communicate better than others. I get that. I get that two preachers can preach the same passage, and and just the way that they deliver the message is going to be different, and, and one may be better than the other one. We understand that, but the point is this. Let us never forget that the power is in the Word of God. We should not de-emphasize the Word of God. The Word of God should be the focus. The, the focus of the church service is the preaching of the Word of God. The most important thing we do here is the preaching of the Word of God. Why? Because it is the Word of God that is effectual. It is the Word of God that brings salvation. It is the Word of God that brings sanctification. Even, even today, supposedly soul-winning Baptists want to de-emphasize the Word of God, even in preaching the gospel. I, I remember going to a church. Brother Matt Burrell is probably going is, 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 um, is, is to agree with this. But I remember going to church where literally, I mean, I literally went soul winning in churches where the gospel presentation was, Jesus loves you. I mean, I'm not even joking. Like, it's like, can I preach the gospel to you? Yeah, sure. Jesus loves you. And it's like, that's it. Nothing about hell. Nothing about heaven. Nothing about Jesus died on the cross. The resurrection. And look, we need to remember that the power is in the word of God. Amen. Now, Obviously, can we explain it well? Can we explain it better? Can we use illustrations to help you understand? All those things are true. All those things are good. But let us never forget that it is the word of God that pierces. It is the word of God that cleanses. It is the Word of God that gives life. It is quick and powerful. It is the living Word of God. It's the Word of God that nourishes, that reveals, that purges, that breaks, that enlightens. It's the Word of God. The Word of God brings salvation. The Word of God brings sanctification. If you think about these things that the Bible does, it's doing these things when it pierces. It does that for salvation, and it does that also for sanctification. When it cleanses, that's for sanctification. When it's a seed that gives life, that's for salvation. When it's food that nourishes, that's for sanctification. When it's a mirror that reveals, that's for sanctification. When it's a fire that purges, that's for sanctification. When it is a hammer that breaks, that can be both for salvation or sanctification. When it is a lamp that enlightens or guides, that can be both for salvation and both for sanctification. These are the things that the Word of God does. I'd like you to find the T-books in your Bible. They're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. And find Titus chapter number 1. And all of that was kind of just introduction just to get to this point. And you may or may not agree with me. I don't know because maybe I just feel this way because I'm a pastor and this is what I do for a living. But when I read this, when I study this, as I was studying this through the Bible this week and preparing this sermon, I personally was really excited 
Because when I think of this, I think, wow. I mean, that is amazing. I think, I, I think if there was a church member, if there was a husband, if there was a wife, if there was a young person that we could pierce through, that we could cut out all the, all the junk, all the distractions, all, all the things that, that they're focused on that, that have no uh, spiritual, eternal value, and we could just kind of move all that out of the way, just kind of pierce through them and get the Word of God in them. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah. I mean, if we could take an individual, we could take a brand new convert who doesn't know anything about the Bible, maybe all they know is salvation, they're saved, and we could begin to cleanse them and, and allow the Word of God to cleanse their life and get the sin out of their life and, and, get, and get their heart right and get their life right. Wouldn't that be exciting? Amen. I mean, we think of the fact that we could go to those that are dead in trespasses and sins and we could present the gospel to them and we could plant the seed in their heart that would give life, that would cause them to be born again. Wouldn't that be exciting? If we could take a brand new baby Christian that doesn't know anything, isn't strong, and, and is weak, is just a baby, and begin to nourish them, begin to feed them, begin to give them the, the sincere milk of the word, begin to give them bread and strong meat, and they can grow and be a strong Christian. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah. I mean, if we could begin to look, if we, if we could get to the place where Christians every day, all on their own, would wake up every day and open up the King James Bible and look in the mirror of the Word of God and began to reflect upon their own lives and began to desire to look more like Christ, to be more like Christ, and began to fix things in their own lives as a result of what they see in the Word of God. Wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, if the Word of God could be like fire, if we could have conferences like the Red Hot Preaching Conference where the Word of God could be preached like fire. And you wouldn't just get excited when we use the word fag. You wouldn't just get excited when we use the word queer. But you get excited when we preach about prayer and Bible reading and sanctification and holiness and loving your neighbor and doing right and living right. And that fire would purge you. Amen. Wouldn't that be exciting? Amen. We could take some hardened Christian. I don't know how you come to a church like Verity Baptist Church and not be a soul winner. I don't know how you come to a church like Verity Baptist Church and not read the Bible. I don't know how you come to a church. I mean, you must really be a hardened heart, but wouldn't it be exciting to take the Word of God and begin to pound and break and break that hard, foul ground? To me, that's exciting. It's exciting that a husband could get saved who doesn't know what to do with his marriage, doesn't know what to do with his children, doesn't know how to guide his family, but we can teach them to read the Bible and love the Bible, and this Bible could begin to be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path and begin to guide them and say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to, that's how I'm supposed to do marriage, that's how I'm supposed to raise my children, that's what God wants me to do with my life. I mean, wouldn't that be exciting? But sadly, what I see, may I say this? Excuse me, may I be honest? Sadly, what I see oftentimes is Christians that are hard. They have the light, but they walk in darkness. They have the water, but they're dirty. Nothing can pierce them. They're anemic spiritually. They have the mirror, but they're spiritually ugly. They have the fire, but they're not cleansed. 
Their hearts are hard. And I think to myself, well, is there something wrong with this? Why doesn't this work? Why can a preacher spend hours and hours studying and reading, preparing and outlining to preach the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to be a sword that pierces water, that cleanses seed, that gives life. And yet so many of us are dead and malnourished and worldly. And it is because there is a catalyst to the Word of God. See, the Word of God is all these things. There's nothing wrong with this. This is good. The thing is that there is something that has to be mixed with the Bible in order for it to work. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4 if you would. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, this is talking about salvation, but really it can be applied to both areas of what the Bible does because the Bible only does two things. It saves and it sanctifies. It saves and it sanctifies. Hebrews 4, 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. And I think this is one of the saddest little statements in the Bible. And sometimes I wonder if the reason it bothers me so much is because I feel like it can describe so much the average Christian. But the word of, but the word, notice, but the word preached did not profit them. So you and I can go out, knock on doors and preach the Bible. But that does not guarantee it will profit them. I can stand up and do my best to study, to outline, to be dynamic, to be entertaining, to make the sermon memorable. But the Word of God preached, the Word preached, simply the fact that it's preached does not mean that it will profit you. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Now, that sounds like there's something wrong with the word, but there's nothing wrong with the word. There's something wrong with you. But the word preached did not profit them. Here's why. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now, obviously, regarding salvation, if we preach the truth of the word of God and it's not accepted by faith, received by faith. I won't profit somebody for salvation. But let me just say this. When I stand up and preach the word of God and you don't receive it in faith, it won't profit you either. And let's just be honest. Why don't we do what the Bible says? Why are there areas in our lives where we know the Bible says do X, Y, and Z? We know God says do this, don't do that. And yet we don't do it. You know, the truth is, we just don't really believe it. God says tithe and I'll take care of your finances. And we're like, I don't think he will. So we don't tithe. I mean, I tithe, but you know what I mean. <laughs> what is that? It's faith. 
why a wife won't submit to her husband. It's why a husband won't love his wife like Christ loved the church. It's why you won't do the things that you know God wants you to do. Why? Because at the end of the day, you actually don't believe it. I didn't say you're not saved. I just said that this powerful book, this book that is alive, quick and powerful, it's a sword that can pierce. It's a water that cleanses. It's a seed that can give life. It's food that nourishes, mirror that reveals, fire that purges, hammer that breaks, and lamp that enlightens. Its power is held at bay by you and me. The word preached did not profit them. And sadly, that's the statement that could be said of the average Christian in America today. When the word is praised, why doesn't it profit you? When the sword tries to pierce, why doesn't it pierce? It says it can pierce. When the hammer tries to break, why doesn't it break? Why doesn't it produce life? Why doesn't it produce cleansing? Why doesn't it produce purging because the missing key is our faith see it does not matter what part of the bible is preached if you and i aren't ready to receive it it doesn't matter if you read the bible and check it off somewhere if you're not willing to do what it says and this is why the emphasis in all those verses that I read to you, and I won't go back and read them all, but the emphasis is to take heed. The emphasis is to do. The emphasis is to do the things you are learning in the Bible. Apply them to your life. Do them because they can only cleanse you when you do it. They can only bless you when you do it. They can only produce what it will produce in you when you do it. So here's the question I have for you. How's your Bible reading? And see, this is where we got to start because... Before we can get to the real question, we just have to get to this question. Do you read the Bible? You've got the Word of God sitting on your shelf, quick and powerful, a living book, the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ in print. I mean, if Jesus appeared physically in your home, would you ignore him? If Jesus showed up at your, at your home, like, like he says in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus wants to come in to your heart and to your life. I'm not talking about salvation. He wants to come in and sup with you and fellowship with you and spend time with you. Say, man, if Jesus showed up and wanted to have dinner with me and wanted to spend time with me, I'd let him do it. Well, he wants to do it tomorrow morning through the King James Bible. He is the Word of God. So how's your Bible reading? And then my question is, you say, oh, I do read my Bible. Okay, do you do what it says? Do you care what Jesus says? Go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Like a look at these verses, we'll finish up. That's why we emphasize Bible reading around here. I know it's a little early, but in January, we'll have our nine chapters a day challenge. Every January, we have nine chapters a day where we challenge everyone in our congregation to read nine chapters every day in the month of January of the New Testament. If you do that, you'll read the entire New Testament in the month of January. One of the sweetest months around here is January. 
One of the worst months around here is December. <laughs> when you and I, let me say it this way. The Bible wants to do a work on you. Whatever you need. I don't know what you need, but God does. Maybe you need a sword that pierces. Maybe you need to be cut. Maybe you need to come to church and hear something that you don't want to hear. Hear something that you know is true, and it pierces your heart, and it pricks you, and you think, ah, yeah. Maybe it's water that needs to just cleanse you. By the way, that's why you need Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's why you need consistency in your, in, your, in, your, in your church attendance and in your Bible because maybe you just need the Word of God cleansing you. Maybe it's a seed that needs to produce life. Of course, this is referring to salvation, but, you know, it could be referred to revival as well. So many Christians are just dead. It's not excited. Excited about everything else! Accept the word of God. Maybe you need food. Maybe you need sincere milk. Maybe you need daily bread. I mean, we all need daily bread, but maybe it's food that nourishes. Maybe you need to just look in the mirror and address some things. Maybe you need fire that purges, a hammer that breaks, a lamp that guides. See, the word of God wants to do a work in you, but here's the key. Here's the key. It cannot do a work in us until we begin to work with it. This is why the Bible says, study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why can the word of God, why can't this powerful book, this powerful book that wants to do a work in our lives, why does it do so little work? And so little lives. And it's here. Here's the reason. It's because we have to work with it. We have to read. We have to study. We have to memorize. We have to show up. We have to hear the sermons. We have to be ready to receive the word. We have to be ready to be corrected. We have to be ready to receive. We need to be like those, uh, like, like the book of Acts talks about, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the Bereans, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. That has to do with their church attendance. They went to church, and they went to church ready to receive the word. When's the last time you prayed before you got to church and said, God, speak to me. God, speak to me tonight. Speak to me today. Show me something you'd like me to do. Show me something you'd like me to change. I want to be tender to your word. When's the last time you and I showed up like that? Instead of showing up, here we go again. I saw the live stream. Only going to go through two verses tonight. Why does it take so long to get through the book of Hebrews? Why does it bother you so much? You should just like the Bible. I like the Bible. I like all of it. You could preach for weeks on one verse and it wouldn't be enough. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And here's, here's the key. Here's the, here's the secret. As you and I work with the Bible, when we show up like the Bereans, they receive the word with all readiness of mind that had to do with the church's attendance and search the scriptures daily whether those things were done. So 
That had to do with their Bible reading. They received the word with all readiness of mind at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and they searched the scriptures daily. That's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whether those things were so. As we work with the word of God, it begins to do a work in us. That's why it says, the word of God, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp with any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. That's, that's God. That's Jesus. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, when you and I work with the Bible... The Bible's working on you. Someone said it this way. We read the Bible, and the Bible's reading us. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let me just leave you with this thought. The Bible has everything you need. And the Bible knows exactly what you need. And it's sitting there. Some of you leave it here. It's sitting there. Leave it on the dashboard so I don't forget it. And it's sitting there on your shelf, sitting there on your table, sitting there. Everything you need is right here. But it cannot do a work on you till you become a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what I think would be amazing? Not that we had 208 people show up for Wednesday night Bible study, although I'm glad 208 people showed up for Wednesday night Bible study. But if we had 208 people who showed up to Wednesday night Bible study who've been reading their Bibles all week, who've been ready to receive the Word of God, who would have their hearts ready, who would say, God, do a work in me. Pierce my heart. Break my, the hardness of my heart. Cleanse me. Purge me. Nourish me. That would be amazing. The problem is not with the Word of God. It's us. It has to be mixed with faith, or it won't profit us. So let us be people of the Bible. Let us be people of the book. Let us be people who love God's Word, who know God's Word, who study God's Word, who read God's Word, who memorize God's Word. Work with God's word and allow God's word to do a work in us. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we love your word. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to be people of the book. Help us to realize that what we hold in our hands is an amazing book. It is quick and powerful. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us to work with your book and let your book do a work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song as we prepare for a baptism tonight. Please turn your songbooks.